welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. You can't cheer when that happens. What? Who did that? <laughs> What kind of family is this? <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, hey, in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus shares a parable with his disciples um, that just shares a very powerful truth. And, and it's a story about a farmer who sowed uh, seeds of wheat uh, into his field. Um, and then while his workers were sleeping that night, uh, an enemy came in and actually sowed seeds of weeds uh, throughout his entire field as well. So then as the plants began to grow and began to sprout up, it became really evident that this wasn't just a field of wheat, but it was actually wheat and weeds uh, together. So, so the workers came to the farmer and said, hey, uh, what do you want us to do? Uh, did you not plant good Seed here? What's happening? And the farmer said, no, I, I planted good seed. This is the work of the enemy. So the, so the worker said, well, do you want us to go ahead and pull out the weeds? We can just go ahead and pull them up now, and we won't have to deal with it. And the farmer said, no, because if you pull up the weeds in the process, you'll also end up ripping out the wheat. So he said, leave them, let them grow together, and then at the time of the harvest, what we'll do is we'll, we'll have you gather up all of the wheat, or excuse me, uh, you'll gather up all of the weeds, you'll bundle that up, we'll, we'll throw that in the fire and burn it, and then we'll gather the wheat and we'll store that in the barns. And this is a story that he shared. And so later the disciples said, well, what was that all about? Tell us, help us understand and explain what that means. And the essence of that parable and the truth that Jesus was sharing with his disciples is this, is that God allows both believers... And unbelievers to live in this world and even increase, right, and grow until his return, until that final judgment, right? That's the core point that Jesus was teaching there, that God allows both believers and unbelievers to live in this world and even grow and even increase until, until he returns for the final judgment. And so what happens is this parable really illustrates our world today, right? Because what it is, as Christ followers, we recognize, right? We recognize that we live among sin, we live among evil, and it does not take like remarkable insight or deep thought to find it, right? Like look at the news, search a little bit online, right? Like look around, you know, like I'm in chaos and confusion, the brokenness in our world, the sickness, the death, the way that we hurt one another, the way that we use one another, it doesn't, it doesn't take very long at all to see this brokenness and the sin and the evil. And it's real. And, and what happens, though, is, is if you focus, if you focus on the sin, if you focus on the evil, if you allow yourself to be overwhelmed, right, it just, it just takes too much. And so what we're seeing right now is we're actually seeing anxiety on the rise, Right? depression, widespread, people are actually wondering if living is really worth living. That's like a real question people are asking right now. And so it, it begs another question, I think, for, for those of us who are God followers, 
who, who, who are Christ followers. It begs this question, what do we do? Right? What do, you, what, do you, what do you do with this? What do you do with this situation, right? As Christ follows, what do we do when it seems like sin and evil are increasing? Sin and evil are prospering? Sin and evil are winning? What do you, what do, you do when it seems like that's true and that's happening? How do you respond? Well, I think Psalm 37 gives us really clear hope. Uh, as we look at that. And so, as Jeff asked earlier, I want to uh, invite you to turn to Psalm 37, if you haven't already, or, or click over on your device. And, and while you're going there, I do want to welcome you to Lighthouse Community. Uh, my name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse, and I'm glad every one of you are here today. And if we haven't met yet, uh, I'd love to connect with you sometime. Uh, maybe after the service, we can uh, chat and kind of get to know one another. And then uh, I do want to say uh, welcome to our uh, Bluffton Community uh, location down in Bluffton. You guys are your second uh, Sunday morning public service, and so that's so exciting. Had a great weekend last weekend, and so yeah, I was like, great, like we are excited about this good stuff, um, but uh, let me encourage you, if, if you're there uh, this morning, uh, let me encourage you to take like the next step, right, like, like get plugged into a small group, uh, discover, is there a ministry team that I can be a part of to discover and use my gifts, because if you're only engaging on Sunday morning, while that's good, that's like a small piece, and let me tell you, you want the whole thing. All right, you don't just want the small piece, you want the whole thing. So uh, take that next step. And then I also want to welcome our online campus as well. And I want to ask you to do this. If you're joining us online, uh, do, do me a favor. Let us know you're here, right? Like just type in the chat, say, hey, I'm here, say good morning. Uh, you know, maybe share a prayer request, let people know what God is doing in your life. Um, but uh, here's what I found. The more, the more you actively engage in that, uh, the more you're actually going to be hearing God uh, speak to you uh, through our time together. So, but we're, we're grateful for everybody that's joined us here today. And uh, we are going to uh, jump right into week two of our series, Hope Unshakable. And let's read the first few verses of Psalm 37. I'm going to read it. Uh, from the English Standard Version, and you can follow along with uh, what you have. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. And forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so let me share just two things about Psalm 37 briefly that I think uh, will help you understand what's happening here. Uh, first thing is this, is that this psalm was written by King David. And, and King David uh, is the second ever king over Israel who is chosen by God. And, and let me tell you, this is a man who had seen a lot of life okay, in his time in this world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But that's the first thing. King David wrote this. Here's the second thing. Psalm 37 is another acrostic poem using the Hebrew alphabet, 
Okay, And so we talked about that last week. If you want to find out more, you can watch or listen to, uh, to that message about acrostic poems with uh, Psalm 119. But you have the same thing happening here in Psalm 37. Now, as this acrostic poem, what's happening here is the Holy Spirit has actually led King David to, to write this poem right, in an effort. What he's, what he's doing here is, is he's trying to invite us into deep hope, right? He's, he's evoking this hope to be very real in our lives, even in the face of sin, even in the face of evil, right? That, that's, that's the clear, overwhelming purpose of what King David, how the Holy Spirit is using King David to write Psalm 37. Because what Psalm 37 is answering a key question that, frankly, every single one of us have either asked at some point, or you will ask at some point in your life. And we've already shared it, right? But it's worth asking again. As God followers, what do we do when it seems like sin, when it seems like evil is winning? What do we do when it seems like wrongdoing is prospering? What do we do when sin is like right there in your face and you don't really know what to do with it? What do we do? Well, Psalm 37 says this, fret not, right? Just don't, just don't fret, right? That's all you have to do. And so some of you are going like, okay, great. I don't even know what fretting is. So I'm already in, I'm in that place already. But so, so what, he, what he's saying is, say, hey, fret not over what evildoers evil evil do. You get to verse 3, he says, but instead trust the Lord. Right? Don't fret, but instead trust the Lord. Now, now that word fret, it's not a bad word, it's not a wrong word, but I would say this, it just does not carry the emotion of the Hebrew word that King David used here. See, when we think of fret, I think we think of like worry, and anxiousness, right? Like we have no more fingernails uh, at the done, you know, when we're done fretting, right? Or, or something's annoying, uh, all of that. And, and that's true, and, and that's a part of fretting. But this Hebrew word fret carries more of a visceral meaning. It, it's, it's like this core level emotion. And, and literally, here's what it means. To fret in the Hebrew, it literally means this, to become hot. To become hot. To become angry. Right? To be overwhelmingly hot with anger and excitement. Right? Just, it's just bubbling over. Right? That's, that's what this word fret means. And so what Psalm 37 is saying this, is when you encounter sinful people, or when sinful people seem to be succeeding, resist the urge Refuse to burn with anger against them. Right? Instead, trust God. That's what Psalm 37 is saying. When, when you encounter sin, when you, when you see sin winning, refuse to burn with anger against them. Instead, trust in God. That's what, that's what Psalm 37 is saying. And so refuse to become hot with anger and wrath when sinful people act like Sinful people, right? That's, that, that's, that's what he's saying here. I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? Does, that? does that idea surprise you? Does it surprise you that sinful people would act sinfully? Does that, does that, I mean, does that like blow, blow your mind? And are you genuinely surprised when people who don't claim to follow Jesus Christ, who don't uh, believe in God, live as though they don't follow Jesus Christ or don't believe in God? Right? I don't know. I don't know if that's shocking to you or not. Sinful people living sinfully. Right? It's, it's the same level to go like, I cannot believe that bird is flying. 
How dare, that, how dare that fish swim? I cannot believe it, right? It's, like, it's what they do, right? Fish swim, birds fly, sinful people sin, right? It's, it's, and, and so to, to walk around with this overwhelming shackle, I, I just can't believe they do that. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? People who don't believe in God living as though there is no God, right? What David is saying, he's saying, listen, don't be surprised when sin people, sinful people are sinful. Don't, don't burn with anger. Don't fall into despair. When that happens, expect it. That's, that's what it looks like. That's how it works. That's how, that's how it plays out, right? And so what Psalm 37 is doing this, it's admitting and saying, yes, sin is real. Evil is a part of our world. And yes, sometimes sin and evil seem to prosper, and they seem to win, and they seem like they're victorious. They profit. They move into positions of power. They have access to lots of resources. They seem like they have legitimate power. And David, right, King David, he's sharing this uh, even out of his, his own uh, you know, memories and experiences that he's had, right? As a young man, he watched how this giant who went by the name of Goliath literally humiliated the entire Israeli army, Right? And, and nobody, nobody knew what to do. Everybody was shaking in their, in their armor, right? There's like no clue what we're going to do in this situation. So it seemed like evil was winning. You know, it was actually on King David's watch when the Philistines actually stole the Ark of the Covenant, right? Took it away from Israel, uh, and which was like their most prized possession because it represented God's presence among them, right? Seemed like evil was winning, uh, as David, uh, as an older man, you know, King David watched his, his family just disintegrate into chaos, right? And so David saw firsthand the effects of sin. He saw firsthand the effects of evil, and especially when it seemed like sin and evil were winning. And yet, and yet, every step of the way, David kept leaning into God. He kept trusting God. He kept trying to just live in alignment with God and his character. See, David's commitment, overwhelming, not all the time, but overwhelmingly, was, was to the Lord and to the glory of his name as opposed to the glory of his own name. And so what Psalm 37 is saying is true, right? Sin is evil, or excuse me, sin is real. Evil makes bold claims and sometimes even seems to be victorious, right? All of that's legitimate. All of that's real stuff that we have to wrestle with. But the Bible directs us that we must not burn with anger, that we must not stoke the flames of retaliation, right? And the Bible is saying we must not fear in despair, but instead turn to God, turn to God, right? Look at the language that David uses here. He says, look, look, when sin is present, when sin is there, trust in the Lord and do good. When evil prospers, delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to God. Be still and wait patiently for him to act. Well, how do you do that? What does that look like? David points to two things in the scriptures here. The first one is this. He says, hey, when you see sin winning, when you see evil prospering, you have to remember this, that success for sin Success for evildoers is temporary. It doesn't last. It's not long-term. It's actually short-term. Right? Look at verse 12. This is, this is what David says, uh, kind of reminding us about this. He says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. 
The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And so what David is saying is saying, look, it may look like sin is winning, but it won't. It won't, right? Like, ultimately, ultimately evil is going to fail, right? Goliath fell dead on his face to the ground, right? See, David's like recounting these memories of what was happening. If you remember, uh, King Saul actually wanted to kill David because now he was named king. And so he had all these plots to try to kill David. And what does King Saul end up doing? He actually ends up falling on his own sword. His own sword pierces his heart. And so what Psalm 37 is saying is that sin and evil will face judgment and will fail. Sin's win is temporary. It's short-lived. It doesn't last. It doesn't linger. And what David is saying here, he's making this really clear truth, but there's this underlying profound truth that I think is worth looking at. And and you don't see it right at first glance, right? It's like not out there right in your face initially, but when you begin to like look below like another layer, you begin to see this, this second truth that David is sharing here. And then when you see it, I mean, you just can't unsee it. And so what David is saying, he's saying, listen, sin, evil, uh, you know, when when they're prospering, when they're winning, when that seems to be going well, uh, it's temporary. It doesn't last, right? It's not long-term. And so one of the other things that David is saying here is this, to live life, only for this life, to, to, to live your life for yourself, to, to live your life under your own leadership, for your own pleasure, David would say, the Bible would say, that's short-sighted. That's short-sighted. If you're going to place all of your bets in the here and now, and that's it, that's actually, that's a, that's a, that's a losing bet. Because what David is saying here is you're missing the fact that your life is a vapor. Your life is a breath. Right? Your, your life, it's, it's nearly an instant, right? It's the old saying, the days are long, but the years are short. Right? And so David's making the point that if you think this is all there is at this life, is all there is, and this is what you're going to invest in, this is all you're going to put, you're going to put your chips right here. Living for yourself and focusing on the here and now is short-sighted with devastating consequences. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this life is temporary and sin won't win. You've got to catch that. Because he's saying you, you've got to realize that when you're seeing, right? It seems like sin is winning. It seems like evil is prospering, all of that. And, and when you sense yourself starting to burn with anger, or even using what David said in, in the beginning of verse 2, when you sense yourself even becoming envious of what other people are having, what other, that other people are prospering from sin. And, and David's saying, listen, resist, resist the burn. Don't feel the burn. Resist the burn, right? Resist the burn and trust God instead. And so what, what David does is he actually spends time, 
right? After kind of saying, hey, living for this life, living for sin, living under evil's leadership that's short-sighted, he crosses over into verse 21 and he begins to remind us of who God is, right? Look at verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. That's not me personally saying that. That's David saying that. Okay, I just want you to know. I'll make that clear. Um, <laughs> yet, <laughs> stop it. You stop it right now. <laughs> yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They're preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. And so David said, listen, when you're sensing the burn develop, when you're sensing this desire to, to rage and to retaliate, pause, pause, and remember who God is. Remember who God is. That the reason you can trust God, that the reason you can delight in the Lord, that the reason you can be still and even wait patiently for him is because God is the one who sustains the righteous. And so what David is doing here is through this poetic language is he's evoking these emotions of hope and of confidence in God. He's saying, yes, this is real. Sin and evil are real, but God is even more real. Yes, it seems like wrongdoing is powerful, but God is even more powerful. He's saying, do you not realize when you put them side by side, we're not talking about apples and apples. We're talking about two completely different categories of things. And God, God is capable, he's sovereign, he's powerful, he's strong, he loves you, he cares deeply about justice, right? You can have confidence in his power and his goodness. You can ground yourself in the character of God. And so he says he'll sustain you now. And don't forget there's a future that God has for you that's beyond this place, right? Because this life's temporary. Sin is the, the winds of sin, the, the winds of evil, they're temporary, they don't last. And so when it seems like sin is winning, don't burn with anger, but instead, delight in God, be still. Wait patiently for him to act. This is what, this is what Psalm 37 is saying. Don't burn with anger. And I recognize that literally right now, as I've been sharing some of these things, some of, some of you, some of you, are burning with anger, <laughs> like in this moment, because you're going, what you're going is because you're like going, you're talking about resisting anger and fret and worry and retaliating and, and all of that, like your skin's kind of crawling because you're thinking, I can't do this. You, you can't ask me to ignore sin. You, you, you can't ask me to overlook injustice and lying, stealing and cheating. I just simply can't do it. You, you just want me to sit off to the side and not do anything about what's going on in our world and the fact that sin and evil and wrongdoing is winning. You're just telling me to sit. Is that it? You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind, and I can't do it, right? 
Because when we witness abuse, right? When, when we witness unfairness, when we hear about wrongdoing, it's natural that it just, it rubs raw against the deepest part of who you are, right? Think about any time you hear a story about that. You hear a story about somebody taking advantage of someone else. You, you come across an instance where somebody's leveraging power in an abusive way. They're oppressing other people. There's something within us that just says, this isn't right. And it scrapes and it rubs and it chafes. And deep inside, we just can't let it slide. Because what we hear echoing in the background is this. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is that good men should do nothing. And Psalm 37 seems like it's telling me to do nothing. And I get what you're saying, preacher, but I just can't do that. I can't do nothing. Because sitting idle and waiting for someone else to act is either a sign that you're scared, it's a sign that you don't care, or at the very least, you're not capable to do anything in this. And I can't do that. Now let me pause for a moment. Let's, take just, let's make a quick point of clarity. Because what David is not saying here, David is not saying that if there's an emergency, if there's a situation where someone's life is at risk, or their safety is at risk, that what we should do is go, wow, sin seems to be winning. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to delight in the Lord. Right? Like, that, that's, not, that's not what David is saying here, right? Even Jesus said, listen, if it's the Sabbath, right, if it's like the day of rest, and like one of your animals falls into a ditch, or your son falls into a hole, and, and they can't get out, and they've been hurt, and they're troubled, he said, you're, go, you're going to help them. Some of you guys, well, my son, I don't know, maybe, you know. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, if somebody's like in an emergency, you're going you're gonna to help them. Even on the day of rest, even on the day you're not supposed to work, you're going to help them, right? It's right to move quickly and to help. It's right to intervene and to rescue, right? And so that's what, that, so David's not saying like just hang out and like, well, something will happen. Something good should come along here soon. I'm just going to delight. But rather, what David is talking about, David is talking about for us personally, that when, we, when we're seeing sin, when we're seeing evil process, when we're seeing it winning, when it seems like it's getting away with stuff, David's talking about refusing to rage with anger when sin seems to be winning. And actually, in verse 8, what he does is he gives a warning against this burning with anger, right? Because he, he actually exposes this downward spile. Look at, look at verse 8. Actually, let's do this. Let's read this out loud together, with, starting with refrain from. Are you ready? Go. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, right? So what David is saying, he's saying, listen, don't burn with anger over sin and evil prospering. Because it, it, you think it just begins with anger, and that's, where it is, and that's where it goes and it ends. But what he's saying is that it actually can develop quickly into wrath, which, by the way, other scripture talks about, wrath is only reserved for God. And, and what David says is when you cross over into your own wrath, what that always tends to and develops to is this, evil. The very thing you were raging against, the very thing you were burning with anger over, you become. This, this is what David is saying. He's saying this downward spiral, 
That when you, when you allow yourself to be burning, to be raging with anger and wrath, you become the very thing that you were angry about in the first place. And that takes you down to a whole nother level, right? You become the very thing that you couldn't stand. And so maybe you're asking questions, you go, wait a second. So are you saying, are you saying that God won't use people to oppose evil? Are you saying that God wouldn't use me to oppose evil? No, I'm not saying that at all. You, you see in the scriptures, God, God used David, right? God uses people to oppose evil all the time, right? Think of David and Goliath. God used David to oppose evil. In one of the most incredibly underwhelming fights of all time, right? Like, if you, if you haven't heard that story, it's like this little guy and this giant guy, and, and they're, like, yelling at each other, and David throws a stone, hits him in the head, and goes, like, right? It's like, it's done, it's over, it's it, it's it, over, right? It's just, like, the most underwhelming battle ever, but the whole point was, it wasn't David. <laughs> the point was to give glory to David. The point was to give glory to God. This is a story about God, right? And so God uses people, Right? But if you're burning with anger, if you're overwhelmed with wrath, right? Let me ask, this is a legitimate question. If you're burning with anger, if you're, overwhelming with, if you're overwhelmed with wrath, do you really think that you're in a position to hear from God and obey what he's asking you to do? Seriously, think about that. If you're burning with anger and you're overwhelmed with wrath, do you really think you're in a position to hear from God and to live in obedience to what he says to you? Here's a question. What if God's direction for you in a situation where sin is winning, what if he asks you to show kindness? What if, that's, what if that's the action he asks you to do? What if the way he wants you to respond to evil in this account is actually to pray for your enemies? What if, what if in this moment it's actually to forgive the person who's hurt you? What if that's God's direction? What if God is asking you, in this moment, I just want you to wait? If you're burning with anger and you're overwhelmed with wrath, do you really think you're in a position to hear from God and to trust him and to obey him? Do you think you'll have confidence in his wisdom and his goodness and his direction, even in the face of trouble? While you're seething, You know, during Jesus' life on earth, uh, many times it seemed that sin and evil were winning and prospering. I mean, think about his life. At his birth, King Herod tried to kill him, right? He, tried, he was like scared of an infant. He tried to kill a baby. Uh, the religious and spiritual leaders of the culture, right, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted to silence Jesus, and they, at every moment they tried to figure out, how can we kill this guy? How can we shut him up? We'll do whatever we can to like, take this dude down. At times, wait, here's this. At times, his own family thought he was out of his mind, and they came to find him to grab control over him. One of his own disciples, by the name of Judas, betrayed him, sold him for 30 pieces of silver, and then when, his, when he may have needed them the most, every one of his disciples abandoned him, and deserted him. Right? You look at the life of Jesus, like, man, you, like, you see it here with sin, right? The governor Pilate, 
ordered Jesus' torture and crucifixion. And so when you read through the gospel, it sure seems like sin was, was winning. Sure seemed like evil was prospering time and time again. And if anyone, if anyone had the right to burn with anger, if anybody had the right to unleash all of their wrath, if anybody had the right to obliterate our universe into atomic chaos and nothingness, it's Jesus, right? You, you have to catch this. You have to see this. If anybody had the right, it was Jesus. And when sin was winning, and while evil prospered, while injustice celebrated with their hands in the air, right? Jesus delighted in God. Jesus trusted the Lord's plan. Jesus died. And it seems, from all accounts, sin had won. That, that the wicked had spread out full of pride like a fresh green laurel tree. And for three days, Jesus waited patiently. I want you to think about this. I think about this. And in the morning of the third day, God acted. Jesus rose from the dead, showing that he is the Son of God. And he does have victory over sin and death. And he does have power to forgive sins. And he does have the ability to give new life. And he was given the name, exalted over every other person, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord. Right? Look at, look at Psalm 37, verse 32. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he's brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but the transgressor shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Catch this. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Do you see it? Do, do you see Psalm 37 is, is about Jesus? You, you see him so plainly here in the scriptures, right? He's the one who refused to burn with anger against evildoers. Instead, Jesus chose to trust the Lord. He chose to delight in the Lord. He chose to commit to the Lord. He chose to look to God for his deliverance. Why? Because he knows who God is. He knows who God is. He knows his character. 
He trusts his plan. He has confidence in his capacity and his wisdom and his goodness and his justice and that God always accomplishes everything he sets out to do. That he's the one who provides. That he's trustworthy. That he's the only one who can laugh at the foolishness of sin. That he never abandons his people, but he upholds the righteous, holding evil accountable, establishing the steps of man, saving, helping, and delivering. And because Jesus knows who God is, he was actually able to pour out his life as an offering, specifically for the wrongdoers. We say that again because it's really, really important. Because Jesus knows who God is, he was able to pour out his life as an offering for the sinful people, for the evildoers, for the wrongdoers, specifically for the ones who opposed him. Jesus refused to burn against evildoers. By the way, do you see from Psalm 37, you and I are the evildoers? You have to know that. It's so easy to read that and insert us in as the righteous ones. Do you realize that you and I are the evildoers? We're the wrongdoers? That outside of Christ, we have no righteousness of our own to speak of. There's there's nothing we can do to come before the Lord to say, I I deserve to stand in front of you. Look at all this good stuff I've done. We're the evildoers. We're the ones who are going to fade like grass. We're the ones who are going to perish. We're the ones who are cut off. That without Christ, we will vanish like smoke. On our own, we have no righteousness, no capacity to stand before God. And so Jesus refused to burn against me. He refused to burn with wrath and anger against you. But instead, he trusted God. He delighted in God's plan and took our punishment for our sin, took our punishment for our evil on himself. This is why David could say ahead of time that salvation is from the Lord. He's the one who helps. He's the one who delivers. He's the one who rescues us from wickedness. We're delivered when we take refuge in Jesus Christ by trusting him, by delighting in him, by committing our ways to him, by being still and waiting on him. Psalm 37 is not saying ignore sin, pretend that evil doesn't even exist, but rather what it's saying is delight yourself so deeply in God. Trust yourself to God's plan and his purposes so overwhelmingly. Be so delighted by the person and the work of Jesus Christ that he overwhelms you and he actually changes the way that you burn. That rather than burning with anger against sin, that you and I would burn with compassion for those who are still trapped in sin, who are still on the other side of this, to burn with passion for Christ. That we who have been rescued don't look down with with disdain and annoyance, but rather 
Reach out with hand, speaking, right? Sharing the gospel, letting people know you don't have to live in this life that's temporary only. You can know your creator. You can know him. How do we do that? Well, David reminds us who God is, and he invites us to think intensely on God's character. He's saying, listen, you got to know there's a future where God rights every wrong. You've got to know the character of God. The key to this is actually found in verse 31. Right? He's, he, what David says is this. He says, the law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And so he's saying, you have to realize, one of the fundamental keys to, to this way, right? It's faith in Jesus Christ first, and it's knowing who God is. And the only way you know who God is is how he's revealed himself through the scripture. And so David say, read it. Dwell on it. Let, it. let it shape you. Let it leave its imprint on your mind and your heart and your soul. Invite the Holy Spirit to renew your thinking and your perspective to teach you how to trust God's wisdom even when it seems like sin is winning. That's the only way you get there. There's a hard-edged truth to this, and I've debated whether I'm going to share this or not but I'm going to, because I think it's worth sharing. The hard truth is this. If you look forward to the demise and the destruction of sinful, evil people, I would say that your heart is out of alignment with God's heart. Even God himself, who will be the one who enacts justice and wrath upon sin and evil at the final judgment, finds no joy in that, right? You have to know that. And if, and if you look with joy at one day, people are going to burn. That's not the heart of God. See, God is not slow as some understand slowness. Rather, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But he desires for everyone to come to new life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because he loves the people he created, who are created in his image. This is exactly why God allows the weeds to grow with the wheat. Hear me on this. Because God is the only one who can transform weeds into wheat. I was a weed. <laughs> you were a weed. <laughs> I am still a weed sometimes in some ways, right? Like God's still transforming me. But he's the only one. That's why he allows the weeds and the weeds to grow together. He did it in you. He can do it in others. Trust him. Delight in him. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We end every message the same way, and it's asking this question, simply this, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want you to take a moment and to listen to what he's saying.
I hope you see the overwhelming love that Jesus Christ has for you. It's, it's, it's unmistakable that he took our punishment that we rightly deserve onto himself instead. Find joy in that. Right? Celebrate that rather than being overwhelmed by the other. Father in heaven, I bless you that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. But rather in Christ, you have made a way where we can stand before you. Uh, not, 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 oh, not, not simply like begging, begging that you'll let us, but actually to stand before you in confidence, to stand before you as ones who have been made new, to stand before you adopted as sons and daughters of the King, to stand before you with real righteousness that Jesus traded our sinfulness for his righteousness, gave it to us. We bless you for that gift. And, and we confess as a body that there are, there are too many times that we were overwhelmed with, with anger and rage and, and we want to let loose wrath on sinful people who are living sinfully and they seem to be prospering by ways of evil and we get angry and we get ticked and we want to do something and we want to let loose. And so sometimes we do that. God, forgive us for that. Forgive us for uh, allowing ourselves to burn, for, for even leaning into that, to finding ways to execute wrath and justice on our own, independent of you. I would ask that you would transform us. Not, not to be doormats, not to cower in the corner in fear, but rather to trust you, to delight in you, to commit to you, to trust you and to know that you will act, to, to be still, to patiently wait on you. And that when you speak, we would step. When you speak to us, we would obey. When you give us direction, we would say yes. Help us to live with that kind of authority underneath your leadership. Guide us, we pray. And we ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. This morning, what we're going to do is uh, we are literally going to remember very physically what it cost for, for our forgiveness, for our freedom, right? We, we call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And so what this is, is this is a time for, for us to just really lean into, to, to, to taste the bread, to taste the drink, to, to remember that this is a real thing. This is not a philosophical idea. Jesus really, really gave his life. Jesus really, really laid down himself, went through all of that, faced all of God's wrath on our behalf so that we could have all of his blessing when we put our faith in him. And so we're going to do that this morning. Now, let me give you a couple instructions uh, before we do that. Uh, one is this. Here at Lighthouse Community, we have what's known as open communion. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be a member of our church, right, of Lighthouse Community to celebrate communion this morning. What you do need to be is you do need to be a member of God's family. And that only comes through genuine faith in Jesus Christ and being transformed through the Holy Spirit, right? 
And so let me encourage you, if you are a believer, even if this is not your normal church family or usual church family, uh, you are welcome to celebrate communion with us this morning. If you're not a believer and you haven't crossed that line and you're wondering, is Jesus real? Is God real? I'm just trying to investigate and learn what that's all about. What I would ask you to do is this. As people come forward, it's right and okay for you to stay in your seat. And the reason that is, because scripture actually says if we eat and drink communion and we're not believers, what we're doing is we're actually eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. We don't want anybody to do that. The other thing is this, maybe you're, you don't believe in God, you haven't trusted Jesus, but this morning you're seeing it <laughs> and it's becoming clear to you overwhelmingly for the first time. Here's what I would say, put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. Say yes to him. You know if God's saying your name, if he's inviting you to do that, say yes right where you're at, right where you're sitting, maybe at home. You can do that right now. Say yes, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then do this. Celebrate your first communion with us this morning with your family here at Lighthouse Community, right? Those are the options before. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask our our servers to come forward and kind of prepare and get things ready. Um, And uh, what we're going to do is in just a moment, uh, I'm going to uh, invite everybody to stand. And I'm going to ask you to come down these two center aisles, and you're going to receive uh, two cups. They're stacked on top of each other. Uh, One has the the drink in it. The other one has uh, the bread. And so make sure you grab the two cups together and then return to the outside aisle, and then you can come back into your, into your row that way. And wait until everybody's received the elements, and then we'll take communion together. And so uh, let's do this. Let me pray. Let's do this. Let's stand, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward. Father in heaven, I would pray right now that you would prepare us in this moment to remember, to remember with joy, to remember the weight of what you've accomplished. And I would pray for any of my friends here this morning who right now, this moment, they are recognizing that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, is calling them to put their faith in you, that they would say yes right now by faith. Not because they don't want to sit there uh, in their chair, not because they don't want to feel left out, but simply because they heard your voice and they want to say yes. And they want to begin following you. And they don't want to burn with anger anymore. And they don't want to be, you know, wrathed upon by you. But rather, they, they want to experience the joy of what it means to be a son and daughter of the king. Invite them to say yes even now and to celebrate their first communion with us as a family. Guide us thoughtfully today to bring glory to your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're ready, I want to invite you to come forward and receive the elements. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.